ready to rise above loud, angry headlines, longing for an alternative to the world's fighting and fear-mongering? Christianity Today magazine offers a trustworthy, faithful perspective on stories that matter to you, from the church next door to movements and ministries all around the world. Subscribe to CT for full access to in-depth reporting, insightful commentary, and redemptive storytelling, both online and in print. A subscription to CT also includes seasonal devotionals, special issues, and exclusive content. Visit orderct.com today or click the link in the show notes to get started and join a growing community of thoughtful evangelical Christians who value different news that makes a difference. That's orderct.com to subscribe today. This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. Hello, this is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts. When I first started my ministry, I found myself preaching and teaching at a lot of sexual purity conferences, mostly for teenagers or for college students. And one of the things that I would notice is that sometimes I would be really frustrated by what would go on at these conferences. I remember one time I was there in a room that was for the guys only, and uh, there was a, an older man, a deacon in one of the churches sponsoring this, uh, this sexual purity, uh, True Love Waits uh, conference there. And he, he said, you know, you, you boys think that sex is so great, but you just wait, he said, until you have been with the same woman for 30 years, same thing, day in, day out, same woman, day in, day out. You'll realize then that sex isn't all that great. Now, I'm sitting there looking around, and I could almost see the thought balloons appearing over all of these teenage and, and preteen boys' heads saying, uh, essentially, well, if that's what we have to wait for, then uh, we better just uh, get while the getting's good. I mean, that, that, that would be the natural response to that sort of bleak picture of the future. And what I wanted to stand up and, and say is, no, this is not a biblical view of sexuality and and what it means for, as the Bible says, to delight in the wife of one's youth. I think that when it comes to, to teaching and preaching sexual purity, there are some things that we've gotten better at, and that's one of them. I do think that there is much more of a healthy emphasis across the board uh, when it comes to the, the goodness of sexuality as created by God and about the, the, the goodness of intimacy within marriage, not just being taught to married people and about-to-be-married people, but, but going all the way down the line. I think that there are some things that we still can tend to miss when we're, when we're teaching about sexual purity. Now, in saying that, I, w- I want to say, first of all, that uh, the alternative 
which is the, the kind of church that doesn't ever talk about sexual purity or the kind of church that rejects what the Bible teaches about sexual purity, it doesn't just have problems. That's, that's the kind of church that is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even within good biblical teaching on sexuality, there are going to be some blind spots that I think we can we can sometimes have. One of those blind spots is, I think, seeing premarital sex primarily in terms of consequences. This is something that we've we've seen uh, repeatedly, and especially in terms of, of temporal consequences, where you have people who are who are simply talking to teenagers about all the bad things or or young adults about all the bad things that can happen to them temporally in terms of uh, sexual immorality. This gives me a great sense of anxiety, uh, especially when I look at the kind of uh, secular uh, attempts to warn people against teenage pregnancy that will have uh, television ads with a baby uh, crying and screaming in the background and essentially says, you don't want this, so don't uh, have unprotected sex. I think that it's easy for the church to pick up that same sort of attitude if not in intention, then at least in in emphasis. And I think what that does is simply empower an abortion culture. If if your your biggest problem is to avoid temporal consequences, then there are all sorts of people who will set themselves up as solutions or answers to those problems in in dangerous and deadly and uh, soul-destroying ways. I think we have to talk about consequences, the scripture does, but I think the primary thing we have to talk about is what sexuality is. The Bible teaches us that this is a powerful part of the created order uh, in, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. It's what Jesus points to when he says that this is the way we were created from the beginning for a man and, and woman to cleave to one another and to become one flesh. But it also teaches us that that isn't accidental, that, that that one flesh union that God has designed is to point us beyond nature, beyond sexuality, beyond the, the, the story of our own lives to the story of Christ and his church, the union of Christ and his church, so that when we're dealing with sexual immorality, we're not just dealing with unwise ways of living, although that's true. We're also dealing with blasphemy. What sexual immorality pictures is a distortion of the Christ Church union and is uh, the proclamation and the preaching of a false gospel. That's fundamentally why adultery is wrong. It, it gives a picture of a Christ who is not faithful to his covenant. That's why fornication is wrong. It gives the, the picture of a Christ who is, uh, who is using his church outside of a covenant uh, and all of the various deviations from the biblical created order of that permanent, one flesh, covenantal union between husband and wife. All of these things preach and proclaim a false gospel, and they have spiritual consequences. The Apostle Paul talks about how a sexual relationship is not simply what our uh, contemporary naturalistic world would tell us it is, just the, the rubbing together of body parts 
It is the, a spiritual reality that is being created. Don't you know, he says, if you join yourself to a prostitute, that you have joined Christ to a prostitute. There is a, a spiritual reality that is present in that sexual immorality because what God has created to bring about communion and to point us to the gospel, when it is misused, has untold and often invisible spiritual consequences. We have to emphasize that. The other thing, though, is I think we sometimes miss the particular nature of fornication. And a lot of that has to do even with the language that we use. Uh, the, the word fornication is a, is a strange and weird sort of word. It feels awkward to even say because it, it sounds like something that's antiquated and kind of, kind of schoolmarmish, uh, actually. And so we use premarital sex instead and talk about premarital sex and we talk about abstinence and we talk about uh, th- these, these words that are more commonly used in, in our uh, contemporary uh, milieu. I think that's dangerous. Not because I think that those words ought never be used, but because when we replace fornication with premarital sex, we're not just changing language. The language here is changing a meaning. When you're talking about fornication, you're talking about something that is markedly distinct from married sexuality. There's something very different going on in fornication than what is happening in the one flesh union of marriage. Premarital sex really puts the differentiation simply on the timing. It's premarital. And the the problem with this is I think it obscures that Christchurch union, the way that the the way that sexuality is an icon of the most important thing about the universe, but also because it doesn't enable people to come to repentance. If the problem is pictured as merely one of timing, then once you get the timing right, you fix the problem. If it's premarital sex, then the wedding ceremony means that it is now marital sex. And I think that leaves a lot of consciences um, under accusation because I think there are a lot of people who have never come to the point of repenting of fornication in their, uh, in their past. They assume that simply getting married fixes it. And when in reality, there are spiritual consequences, there's also marital consequences. I mean, even if you have a couple who have only engaged in, in sexual relations with one another prior to marriage, who are, are married now to each other, The wife in that relationship has every reason to wonder as time goes on. My husband, who was a strongly professing Christian, was able to talk his conscience into what he knows to be sexual immorality with me. How do I know that he won't be able to talk his conscience into the same thing with someone else? Now, I think that we're able to, to teach about this and to preach about this much more clearly when we're talking about adultery. 
we're able to talk about what it means for uh, a, a person who has committed adultery to repent of that and to seek forgiveness from one's spouse and to seek forgiveness from God and to be restored into the, the fellowship of the church. But we don't do that as easily, I think, when it applies to sexual immorality that is before the marriage vows, which in Scripture is just as much a violation of fidelity and the covenant of marriage as is adultery. So how do we enable people to be free of that, where because they have acted in ways that are immoral, do they then simply live their entire lives with a conscience that, uh, that, that points to them and says, you're a fornicator, you're, you're sexually immoral, you're impure? Well, the way that we avoid that is by avoiding both the kind of airy antinomianism that says everybody's a sinner and God understands and everything's fine, that leaves people in bondage. Their consciences know better than our talking points. But we also don't move to the kind of uh, pharisaical condemnation that also leaves people in condemnation, in which they, they realize because they are sinners in this area of their lives, then that means that they can never, uh, they, they can never make things right. Well, no, we're the people of the cross. We're the people who understand and know that if we look at our lives before the tribunal of God, there is none righteous, no, not one. We're the people who see in the searing light of, uh, of God's righteousness how far we fall short. And yet we're also the people who see that every punishment and every aspect of that fallenness and that sin has been borne by Jesus on the cross. And that means that if we're in Christ, then we share in his righteousness and we share in his crucifixion, and that means that we now have no condemnation. That requires people who, when we're talking about sexual purity, are able to talk strongly about the standards of God's law about the call to repentance, people who don't back down one iota on those things, but also people who are able to stand up and to speak of the mercy of God that is found through the blood of Christ, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that means we're talking about sexual purity as when we're talking about almost everything else. We are going to have some people that we're talking to who don't want to come to repentance, who want to justify themselves. We've got to hit that with the gospel. And then we're going to have other people who are in despair. Their, their consciences are burdened down, and somehow they just cannot believe that God would really forgive them. We've got to hit that with the gospel. And we've got to bring all of our teaching together in the cross of Jesus Christ that speaks both of God's justice and of his justification. We're going to make some mistakes. We're going to emphasize things too much in one direction or too much in the other. We're going to say things we wish we could say a different way. But fundamentally, that ought to be our aspiration, is when we're talking about sexual purity, we're constantly doing so under the blood of the cross. This is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts.
This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's MA in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu/hdl.